Good morning, everybody. Well, did Santa come? Good. <laughs> Great. Now, it's lovely to see so many here this morning. Uh, this is all-age worship, so you're going to be uh, getting a little bit differently in that there'll be a bit of a children's address in the middle, hopefully, uh, and also uh, I'll have an Old Testament reading because they do say that uh, the Old Testament is like a room, all fully furnished, but with the lights switched off. And the New Testament is the same room, a lot of the same truths, but just with the light on, the light of Jesus' presence, because he reveals a deeper meaning in so many things. And in the lectionary, uh, our reading this morning was Luke chapter 2, that well-known story of Jesus going up as a 12-year-old boy to the temple because his parents were going up. It was their yearly duty to go up and do sacrifices at the temple. It's, if you like uh, to explain it more better, it's, it's like giving gifts to God. They, before Jesus, they would have sacrificed at the temple each year. And it's a little bit like Christmas where you give gifts, but they'd be giving gifts to God. And they were presenting Jesus at the temple. They were, uh, he was maybe his first time there. And he was learning about uh, the Torah and the law and all the wonderful heritage of God's dealings with the children of Israel. But there's another uh, uh, text as well from 1 Samuel chapter 2. And it's another boy in a temple. Can you think who we're talking about? We're talking about uh, the boy Samuel. Because in 1 Samuel chapter 2, we hear that Eli, Eli was the great high priest, and it says that his sons were scoundrels. They didn't uh, serve after the Lord. Uh, but Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. And it's interesting if you recall from Luke chapter 2, Jesus was also one who grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and the people. So there's a little tying in uh, to help our understanding in these. Now, whenever I heard that um, Hannah, who had little boy uh, Samuel, and she dedicated him to God, and she brought him a little robe, I thought of what does that remind us of uh, around Christmas time? Can anybody think of little robes being brought and being worn? Well, I thought of Christmas jumpers. I don't know about you. So, now, I very nearly said in the earlier service that uh, Christmas jumpers are in the Bible, but I, I don't think I would have got away with that. Uh, but definitely the idea of bringing a little gift at Christmas. And Hannah was showing the love uh, to her little son, Samuel, who worked in the temple with Eli. But this, is, this isn't that great at Christmas jumper. So I've got a, another friend with a Christmas jumper. Uh, and this is Peter the polar bear. Do you like his Christmas jumper? Isn't it far better? It's far nicer, isn't it? It's far nicer than mine. It's a nice red one. So this reminds us if you remember nothing else from the service, Christmas jumpers remind us a little bit about Hannah bringing this little robe to her son Samuel as he ministered in the temple. Uh, and we think of, of her generosity in, to Samuel and also in giving up her son uh, because Samuel was a mighty man of God in the time of the Old Testament, serving God. Now, I could leave this up here, but I think it might distract everybody, wouldn't it? So I'll put Peter away and I'll put away my, my little Christmas jumper.
But that's just in tying in. You see, in our story this morning, we actually have two parallel passages in a temple and a boy. And it sort of brings deeper truths to us. And also, I want to tie it in as well to other themes of Christmas because in a life of give and take, does fortune favor the takers? Do we feel sometimes at Christmas that those, there's a lot of people that take and don't give? And does uh, life teach us that, oh, well, it's better to take? But hopefully this morning, you'll see that it's not. We have two parallel passages, as I said. Uh, with Samuel, the big danger was from the Philistines who were coming to invade. And uh, with, in Jesus' time, it was the Romans who were occupying the land. But really what the passages hopefully show us is that the real battle was between good and evil, between obedience to God and the difference between takers and givers. So I want to look this morning at two takers, Phineas and Hophni. These were the sons of the high priest Eli, and they were takers. But then we have two obedient givers. We have Hannah and Mary, Hannah the mother of Samuel, and Mary the mother of Jesus. And then two much, much greater givers, Samuel and Jesus himself. So the first point this morning is the two takers, Phineas and Hophni. And these were Eli's sons. And you think of the priestly family. They were the most powerful family in Israel. And they should have known and served God. But the sons ignored God. They were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. And it was the practice of the priests that whenever any of the people offered a sacrifice, that's like a gift to God, the priest's servant would come with a fork in his hand while the meat was still being boiled. And he would plunge the fork into the pan, and whatever the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh, where the sacrifices were offered. But even before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the person who was sacrificing, give the priest some of the meat to roast first. And you see, this was what they were doing wrong, because the, the, the sacrifice, the gift was to God, but the priests thought that they were more important than they were and that they should get a share first of all. And uh, that's really where they were going wrong. So they were takers. They took what was nicest for themselves and they ignored the law of God. Into this situation, Hannah, who was childless, prays for a child and God grants her wish and she has the baby Samuel. Now Samuel means asked for of God. So even in his name, we, see, we get an indication of God giving and, and God giving her this son, Samuel. And uh, as I said, just in a little sort of children's illustration, uh, Hannah would have brought a little robe every year because she still loved him. Uh, her and her husband went on to have another five children because God blessed them. But Samuel had a special place in her heart. So the second point this morning is Hannah, our first giver. And she had given Samuel to the service of God because she'd asked for him from God. God had given her this little baby boy. Now, in Jewish times at that time, you could have given your firstborn for a few years to work in the temple, but generally you then paid five shekels and got your son back. But if we notice in this story, Hannah didn't take him back. She gave him for all uh, his life to the service of God. Now, Samuel was very happy. He served God. He served God in the temple. And he was a mighty man of God in that time of Israel, delivering the people from the, from the Philistines. But it's also nice just to remember, uh, when you think about Christmas jumpers, remember Hannah's little gift to Samuel each year. 
And the boy Samuel continues to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. So our third point this morning is the first giver. Uh, sorry, the second giver, but the first to grow in favor with God and man. Do you see the reflection between the New Old Testament and the New Testament? Because this is talking about Samuel. And you see, Samuel was faithful, and Samuel heard God, and Samuel served God. But Eli's sons didn't. And this is sad because promises and covenants had been made to Eli's house that they could serve in the house of God forever. But the thing about God is God makes covenants, and both people have to keep the covenant. So they were no longer keeping the covenant. So what God says in a, in a Revelation 2 through Samuel is that, look, I'm going to take Eli and his family out of the picture. Uh, there is no longer going to be older people in that generation, so they'll not be, be respected in the, in the society. They'll not be gone to for advice because they've, they've been takers. They haven't understood the gift that I have given them, and they've been too selfish. You see, leaders have particular temptations. Every circumstance has its special temptation, and familiar to, sorry, familiarity has a tendency to breed contempt. I hope none of us have that this morning. Familiar with the things of God, and then you don't value it, and you start being disobedient. It's easy to learn the rituals of religion without coming in love to love and understand God. And may we be careful of that this morning, uh, because there can be lots of religious ceremony. And I mean, the, the sons of, of Eli did all the ceremony, uh, but they didn't know God and they didn't respect him. And it's a tragic story of Eli because he would have seen Samuel grow up in the fear of God and his sons ignore God. And for any parents this morning, that might be quite a, a bitter thing to hear in that sometimes our children, our grandchildren don't seek after God. But do remember too that we're responsible to our children, uh, but we're not responsible for and Hophni and Phineas, they made the wrong choices. We are some of our choices, and we cannot control what people decide. But we can pray for them. And that lovely little verse in Revelations, uh, chapter 8, verse 4, refers to the storing up of the prayers of the saints. How full is your jar? Are you praying for, for children, for people known to you, that they come back to faith uh, in, in Jesus? Also, uh, we know that uh, Christ's working in people's lives can be different. They might not be identical to us, but there can still be genuine faith. So we hope for that in all those on our hearts this morning. But it's sad, too, that the children of Eli neglected, ignored this gift. And they didn't listen whenever they were rebuked. So that's an interesting thing, too. Uh, when I was at university, I, I got the opportunity of joining the gliding club. Uh, and it's big fixed-wing gliders. So I sat as passenger, and the pilot was in the front. And you're up at two or 3,000 feet. And normally, you see, you hear the rushing wind because you're going forward. And you hear the wind from the nose to the tail of the plane. And then on purpose, the, uh, the pilot lifted the nose and was deadly quiet. There was complete silence. And ordinarily, you'd think that would be nice. It would be nice to be nice and quiet. But you see, if you think about it, if there's no noise of wind rushing, then you're not moving forward. And if you're in the midair... What do you think is happening if you're not moving forward? You're dropping like a stone. So as, all you could hear was the silence and my heart beating. So it was quite scary. But then he just put the nose down and the, the noise returned. And sometimes we hear the word of God. Sometimes we hear his rebuke. Sometimes 
we hear the, the nudging of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we hear preachers, either from a pulpit or the street corner, telling people to repent. Be thankful that you still hear that. Be thankful that people are still hearing that, because when there's silence, it's a wee bit like being in that glider when you don't hear the Word of God. And that's what happened to Eli's sons. They no longer listened. Uh, but let's move on to our New Testament story this morning. It's our fourth point this morning, if you're counting. There's just another one after this. Uh, but we have the second giver, uh, and that was Mary. Mary was someone who obeyed God, who obeyed uh, God's plan. Uh, she had the baby Jesus, and she was willing then to give him up. And this story of bringing him to the temple uh, and, and bringing him to uh, the temple and then, then him, him disappearing uh, was really symbolic of eventually Jesus went on into his earthly ministry, and she gave him up into that. So she was a great giver. She was selfless, and it obviously hurt her whenever Jesus suffered uh, to see her son going through that. Um, it's interesting, we, we return to our passage. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. Uh, just a small point, normally the men went to the festival, but if you read the passage, both Hannah and Mary went to the festival. So these were devout women. They feared God. When he was 12 years old, Jesus went to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Now, how could you be unaware of your 12-year-old son being missing? <laughs> Has any parent ever thought that? But you see, the whole village went. So you had a whole caravan of people. And the women and children normally went at the front, and the men went at the back. Now, Jesus was 12, so he could have been at the front, or he could have been at the back. So they went out for a full day's travel. They camped for the night, and where's Jesus? They couldn't find him. And you can imagine they were a bit worried. But then it says it took three days to find him, so it took another day to retrace their steps to go back to Jerusalem. And then it's interesting, it also took them a full day to find him in Jerusalem. And you, see, you hear the words of Mary, you know, did you not think about us? Did you not think that we'd be worried? Uh, and it's interesting what she says, your father and I were very worried. But Jesus' reply is, did you not know that I'd be in my father's house? And there's a couple of things when we unpack that. First of all, the first utterance of Jesus in the, in the Gospel of Luke is, I am God's son, and I am about my father's business. So he was another ultimate giver because he was there to do the will of the Father. And it's also interesting that, uh, you know, here was, was Mary and Joseph worried about him and surprised. Jesus was also surprised. He said, did you not know I'd be here? You know, we think, oh, would he not be concerned about his parents? But no, it was perfectly natural for him to be in the temple learning, learning about his, his, his uh, heavenly Father. Um, so we can see it talks about Jesus growing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And there's some people that think that Jesus was born perfect or that he was born uh, fully all-powerful. But this passage would suggest not that he needed to grow. So you can see that when he's with the, the, the learned teachers, he's learning. Because you see, Jerusalem at the time of the Passover, all the best learned minds in the country were there. It was a bit like going to Oxford or Cambridge or Harvard. Jesus was learning. Jesus was excited. Jesus was finding out about his heavenly Father. Uh, we see that uh, Jesus wasn't born perfect. If you remember little things, all little things in Scripture, uh, the lady with the, with the ailment of bleeding and touches his cloak, and he doesn't know who it is. 
He also says that the day of judgment that he doesn't know, but only the Father knows. So we see here, this is not just somebody completely out there that we cannot relate to. This was someone who had to grow in knowledge and learn, uh, and learn from the best teachers of his day, which is what he was doing. But it's also interesting to note that he was a giver, that he was there to learn about his father. It's also uh, interesting that um, he, he wasn't born uh, in, in, uh, sort of a, with all things worked out. He had to make a conscious decision to follow the father. And if you remember back to Adam and Eve, they chose not to. Uh, but Jesus was the perfect man, the second Adam, he's sometimes referred to, where he chose to follow his father. It's also quite interesting because the illusion in the gospel and the early church fathers is that Jesus was a carpenter. And we believe possibly his father passed on quite young in life because we know that Jesus would have been a carpenter and looked after his family and his, his, uh, his mother and his other brothers and sisters as a carpenter. So think about it when he talks about a, a house being built on the rock or a yoke being made that is easy to carry. He spoke from personal experience. This is where he was developing his skills and his trade and his dealing with people. So again, it's a lovely example to each of us, ourselves, and maybe as parents or grandparents, that there's value in learning to be honored by people, uh, to learning skills and being useful. And of course, ultimately, he gave his life on the cross. He gave the ultimate sacrifice, and he gave of himself completely so that we would come into his family and become his children. And that's a wonderful act of love. So that's our points. I'll just conclude then because... We see in our story this morning, Eli's sons lived for themselves. They missed the whole point and missed out on the blessing. But we see a necessary development too of obedience through Hannah, through Samuel, through Mary and Jesus, but also a healthy attitude of giving. In answer to the question, you know, do the takers get it all? Does favor or fortune the takers? No, it doesn't. Because we can see from these stories that Hannah was obedient and gave, and Samuel came and was a mighty leader and delivered the people from the Philistines. Mary was, was obedient and gave, and Jesus came as the Savior of the world. So we see that there's value in giving, there's value in growing, uh, and there is a God that also gives. Remember over Christmas we sang, unto us a child is born, a son is given. God gave Jesus as the ultimate gift too. God gave his son, and God calls us to give so that a kingdom can be gained. A God who gives expects us to give, but also to, to accept his gift of salvation. Just by way of finishing, I want to read a few lines of, of, of a poem, because we've had the Christmas period. We've had uh, taking and giving. Uh, we've learned this morning that it's better to give because we have so many examples in the Bible, and we have the ultimate gift of Jesus himself. So here is, you can think of the different characters around the Christmas story the joy of Christmas. I was one of the guests in Bethlehem's inn that night, tucked up in bed, as the innkeeper said, I can do nothing for your plight. Poor man, a pregnant wife, I thought, I really should give them my room, but I have paid my rent fee. What difference would it be? I'm sure the birth can't be that soon. As I ignored my guilt and I slept, I awoke to another dreary morn, unaware of the joy brought by that baby boy, for the Savior of the world had been born. I sat with the three astronomers, 
and we studied the bright new star, but I thought the risk too high when my friends drew nigh and suggested travel to lands afar. Not today, I decided. Tell me about it when you return. And so I missed my chance to be there when the Son of Man was born. When the angels sang glory to God to us shepherds on the hill, the others gladly sought the child, but I was reluctant still. So I and a handful of others stayed to guard our sheep. You others can go down to Bethlehem town, but we have our livelihood to keep. Of course we said we'd go later, but tomorrow never comes. So now we quietly sigh and wonder why we have no story to tell daughters and sons. Today, have you got a story to tell of how Jesus was born into your heart? Or did you too draw back? Did you ignore the fact when he invited you to make a new start? Ask anyone who answered the call and took trouble the stable to find. Ask them what was in that manger stall and the thoughts that went through their mind. The tear in their eye as in vain they try to describe seeing their creator and king. For when we meet him and his spirit enters in, we have a new song of joy to sing. In villages and towns across Ulster's land, Christ invites us to rebirth, to follow the king and with angels to sing in holy joy and mirth. Jesus Christ is born for us. Don't get engrossed in your daily care. The wise men from afar had to follow that star. Knowledge alone won't bring you there. Don't ignore in the rush of Christmas his knock on all your heart's doors. Open the door of your inn, and as you welcome him, the joy of Christmas will be yours. Let us join together in prayer. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, what a gift, and what a giver. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for the gift of your Son. We pray, Lord, that any among us this morning who have not accepted that gift may stay behind be prayed with and accept you as Lord and Savior. And we thank you, Lord, for the, the wonderful way that you use people obedient to you to give to the world and to be your blessing to others. We pray, Lord, that this Christmas we may accept God's gift of salvation and be a giver, not a taker. Amen.